0: Kia ora, this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard.
1: Kia ora, welcome to Wellington Access Radio. Um, You're on with Jen, this is B-Side Stories. Um, I'm usually a... At work at this moment in time, and Laurie Foon is uh, the person who you would usually be listening to. Um, But on today's programme, I'm making Laurie very jealous actually because we've got Maile Manzanza in the studio. He's one of the performers uh, as part of the Wellington Jazz Festival, which kicks off tomorrow. Um, And we're actually on the eve of two festivals, Wellington. I don't know if you knew this, but it's also the Documentary Edge uh, Film Festival. Um, And we have the festival director, uh, Dan Shannon, who's going to be in the studio at half past five. Um, So uh, looking forward to an exciting show. Um, And also going to play you some fantastic music as well. Um, I've found a new band, they're called Maribu State, I'm very excited about them, so I'm going to be playing some of their latest album, it's called Portraits, and that's uh, a bit later on in the programme, that's a bit of a nod towards the Jazz Festival, which incidentally has got 100 gigs over the next five days, which I thought was quite impressive. Uh, first though, we're going to kick you off with some uh, Miley-, Miley Manzanza's uh, music, uh, this is a track called On The Move, and it's off his album which is called One you That's Miley Manzanza, and uh, it's a track off his uh, first album, One, and it's called On The Move, and it's featuring Rachel Fraser. And uh, Miley's in the studio with us now. Welcome, how are you doing? I'm
2: very well, thank you. How are you?
1: Yeah, good. Thank you for joining us. Like I say, um, I'm, uh, uh, Laurie is um, envious of me right now because she mm-hmm. wanted to interview you, Um And uh, the reason you're in the studio today is because it's the Wellington Jazz
2: Festival. Indeed.
1: Are you excited about this gig that you're doing with Ross McHenry?
2: I am, I am. It's, um, I believe this will be my first time performing at the Wellington Opera House. Really? Um, Yeah, I think, I've, I've been to a couple of concerts there. Uh, Yeah, no, it is my first time. I've done the Michael Fowler, I've done St. James, done the Town Hall, haven't done the Opera House. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really exciting. It's cool. It's a real privilege to, um... To be performing at a, a venue of the prestige of the Wellington Opera House, and also to be um, getting to play like really great creative music with um really great creative musicians such as Ross McHenry and his band.
1: So, how did you get to meet them in the first place?
2: Well, I met the first time I met Ross was in 2010 at the Red Bull Music Academy in London. He was um he was a, I, I was a participant and he was a participant. He was like the Australian representative and i was the kiwi and there was i mean there's people from all over the world all over europe asia africa the us kind of all come together for a couple of weeks and make music and produce stuff and get lectures off real interesting people like um i think we had flying lotus uh roots maneuver um loads of other people hudson mohawk he was one of the guys who was um the i guess the assistants there and there were like too many people to name and be too like you know, I don't want to be all self-conscious about name-dropping and stuff. But anyway, heaps. Of There's really a good names to be dropping, though. That, yeah, that's yeah. you're in good company. And um, we, me and Ross, kind of bonded a over coffee because the Antipodes do it the best. <laughs> um, and B, we were the only people. Well, uh, I think uh, I think we were the two people there out of like the thirty other participants who were instrumentalists first like lots of the other people there were um producers or beat makers or vocalists who who maybe played instruments a bit but it was in service of their production or their songwriting and me and ross were i guess the more musically trained people on our instrument and so we kind of you know we bonded as far as like being able to have like easy jam sessions and we kind of thought of music in a in a similar way because of that because I guess we were both we both had a deep interest in hip hop and electronic music but we're also schooled in jazz and um theory and improvising and stuff like that so we kind of we we connected you were on common ground yeah yeah we were on common ground there yeah. and um i think maybe so that was in 2010 and i think in later that year or maybe 2011 he emailed me about this project he was wanting to put together with a bunch of, um, a bunch of composition, new compositions that he was writing, and he wanted to bring me in as well as uh, Mark de Clive Lowe, who's um, an amazing New Zealand expat now living in Los Angeles, who's a great keyboard player, producer, beat maker, um, one-man band extraordinaire, as well as um, Adam Page, who a lot of uh, Wellington listeners will know because yeah. um, uh, they're both uh, Adelaideans well,
1: Adelaide is great. If Ad- it isn't the name, then it should be. Yeah, okay. So they're, yeah.
2: they're both from Adelaide, so they, they've known each other for a long time, as well as um, a group of other Adelaide-based musicians mm-hmm. who Ross has been working with. And um, I guess his, his whole concept was like, like we have all our influences, like we we all know jazz, we all know hip-hop and soul and electronic music and Afrobeat and contemporary but we kind of like these are our influences and we want to we don't want to like not acknowledge them but at the same time it's time for us to like make our own rules you know this is this doesn't need to adhere to any preconceived um, notion of what music is supposed to be so it can be we can go to grooves which reference whatever style whether it's a sort of jay Dilla-ish hip-hop thing or an afrobeat thing or a maybe a more straight ahead jazz thing or a contemporary modern brad ish thing whatever doesn't matter but we're just playing these are the compositions and we're kind of playing with our instincts and um just trying to be in the moment with them and take them where it goes and kind of whilst we know the rules like don't be afraid to just throw out the rule book you know but you I
1: mean? kind of have to know the rules in order to be able to do that right yeah, yeah yeah
2: that's right there's a lot of there's a lot of um very creative people who aren't very good yeah there's there's you know there's a, lo- a lot of like you know you, there's a lot of uh
1: you can get cont- away with contemporary- a certain amount
2: i reckon yeah yeah the, i mean like you know there's a lot of lo- like a lot of contemporary music or art which is creative but not, you know, they're not either. They don't have the facility to go beyond. The, you know, they're limited by their lack of technique or lack of knowledge. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, as you know, as long. But I think I think there is something in the value of being able to execute a move. Yeah. So, like, you can play sloppily or simply or. Out you know out of the box in some way, but don't let it be because you're um. Out of out of like being limited in technique. Yeah, you like, know what I mean. Make it a choice. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're consciously whatever move you're doing, you're doing it. Consciously and and but because you're playing something which is sort of off time or sloppy or out of kilter, which is great doesn't you know you've got to be able to nail the fundamentals too Mm. and i think i think that's one of the great things about working with ross is that he can play anything that he wants on the bass he knows anything about music theory or harmony or rhythm but his writing is um or his playing is very intuitive and he can he knows the rules but he's not he's not restricted by them if he wants to play something which is out of kilter, or like going between different time signatures, or, or something really simple, we can do that, and it's cool. It's just music.
1: So how does it work? I mean, with the show that you've got on Friday for mm-hmm. for the Wellington Jazz Festival, yeah. have you been involved in composing the mu- music together with Ross, or um, is it, or is are we talking about jazz where a lot of it is improvised? So you've got a framework, but you're kind of doing your own thing. Oh,
2: both in a sense i mean ross is definitely the composer of the music as far as like here are the chords here's the melody here's the form here's the the general vibe but one of the things which is again so great about working with ross is that he's not he's not an autocratic or a um totalitarian kind of leader he's a very um I, I guess I guess I would call it democratic socialism with a splash of anarchy. So you can, <laughs> so you know, he's he is the leader. He sets the agenda per se, but everyone within the group has a say and is able to voice. Like, but if we're talking about, even if we're talking about, like before the rehearsal, like, okay, we, what if we approach this tune? What if we change this bar to? some other time signature and that might make more sense going into the next section or something and he'll be like okay cool yeah that makes sense as opposed to being like no this is this is how it is rigid and also musically like because what he wants part of his vision and part of what makes him such a great leader is that his vision involves the musicians that he picks being himself being themselves right so so, so a lot of the strength of it is that he's picked the right guys who he wants and they can be themselves naturally and together organically it makes something which is uh, stronger than the sum of its parts
1: yeah so what kind of show can we look forward to can you can you put it into words um
2: it's it's it, it is jazz in, in in that it's instrumental music and we're improvising in it but I I think that calling it jazz is too narrow, unnecessary, out, it's outdated. It, jazz is an outdated word. It's it's not even a thing anymore. It's, it's, a, it's, something it's that, not.
1: It's something that kind of makes me think of uh, New York, perhaps in sort of the 50s or 60s. And, yeah. And that's kind of, that's where jazz sort of belongs. And difficult yeah, music th- that's difficult to access, perhaps. I think it's got some baggage. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I think you're right about that. And it's not, And it and it's, sh- it shouldn't be because i mean I, I i understand it it does you know i understand that it's an acquired taste and i understand that um is it your taste it's it's part of my taste yeah it's part of it's i mean i don't listen to jazz exclusively like when I, when i was a child i listened to michael jackson and i still do and you know i listen to favorite
1: michael jackson song
2: uh, just to take it to a completely out, um, different place probably i can't help it yeah yeah the one that Stevie Wonder wrote. Ah, oh, okay. Um, can't help it if I wanted to. Anyway, side, that's a that's a huge sidebar. <laughs> it really um, is. But, but yeah, so yeah, back to the so, jazz. So I think, and and I think Ross would agree with it too that to call it jazz, a is bad marketing, and b mm. it does a disservice to what the music actually is because we draw from we draw just as much from Jay Diller or Flying Lotus or. Ravel or Fela Kuti or or um, you know, there's a whole world of music that we all draw upon and yeah. jazz is part of that.
1: I read a description that um, uh, Radio National in Australia said it involves Afro-jazz, LA beats and the uh, New Zealand soul and hip-hop. Are you the New Zealand soul and hip-hop? By,
2: by default, yes. Well, me and Mark de Clavlo, because Mark de Clavlo is from uh-huh. New Zealand. He, he Unfortunately, he's not on this it. Yeah. but um, yeah. I, I, I guess there there is a bit of a New Zealand thing, but I. Is, I mean, I know I understand what they mean by the New Zealand sound, as far as like the soulful soundscape thing. That you know, you know, when you think of like Fat freddies and it's like, you know, there's the soul thing, which is part of it, but it's also like the big sounds and the way that they mix it and all the the reverb's and delays mm. and. I me, slow burning grooves, yeah that um so that's kinda that's kind of in there a little bit, but I don't know I, I again, I think that's too narrow a reference point either because i like i while Mark declavelow and I are both New Zealanders, we're not really we're not really in the New Zealand sound that much i think I think both of us. And as well as Ross, have a more. Um, not that we like when I think New Zealand sound part of it's like the reggae thing, yeah. And I that I I get it and I and I love reggae, but it's not. I wouldn't call that one of my major influences as much as jazz and hip hop and stuff are. So I'm not I'm not I'm not even sure where I fit into that as far as being placed in the New Zealand. Yeah. Sound and I, and I in fact I, to be honest I don't think I really fit in here.
1: So where do you fit in? Because it sounds like you've got quite an international career. We should also mention that you you you're about ten really, aren't you? You're quite young. <laughs> you know, you at the beginning of the interview you talked about all the different experiences that you have, and I remember um, the first time I saw you play was. I think it was about 2007, and you were with Electric Wire Hustle, and that's the first time I saw the band. I right, mean, it was with Steve Spacek, and it was downstairs the Good Luck Club. I don't know if you remember that, but oh I was, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember it was that a gig. fantastic gig. Um, oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it was it was brilliant, and um, I've kind of followed your career since then. Yeah. Um, You've kind of since split with Electric Wire Hustle. You've mm-hmm. done your solo stuff. It seems to be you have a more international sort of musical career now. Is that I, I is think, that how you see things? I think that
2: would be fair. I think I, I definitely make a lot more money per show outside of New Zealand than I do in New Zealand. Which which, uh, which might be, I think, is not an uncommon thing as far as... um. You know, you're you're an international artist. That's more of a like. Yeah. If I go to Australia or Europe, it's more of a. No, I'm not. I don't live there, so I'm not just always there. So it's more of a novelty. Yeah, or yeah. Not, not novelty, but you know, it's more. Yeah, of it's a Yeah, something unique, fresh and new. Absolutely, yeah. yeah it's yeah. a unique thing, yeah. so I pro- there's probably higher promoters can charge more money for me in Australia or Europe or the states than they can here. Um.
1: It's also the quality yeah. of your work as well, because you're an awesome drummer. And I Thank heard um, um, Ross McHenry describe you as—I think he said you were the best drummer that the Southern Hemisphere had produced. Um, which is, I, I, I'm
2: not, I'm not which is gonna, pretty
1: cool, right? It's <laughs> that, that, a,
2: a very nice thing of Ross to say. I don't think—I don't, I don't think I would call myself that. Um, like when I when I think of drummers, I like look up to like there would be Roger Sellers, who was one of my one of my teachers, who was a great um, jazz and bebop drummer, who still plays regularly at the Lido, and he's you know his sense of time and touch and sound is impeccable, and it's kind of when when I when I see him play, and I, I don't get I haven't seen him play in a while now, but when I was when I was a child and kind of studying with him and watching him play, there's there's a sort of an effortless mastery that he has with what he does, and it, and I think that's something that comes with time and wisdom and experience, really, and I. Well, well, I'm stylistically different to him, and I'm, work, I guess, you know, going going my own way as opposed to trying to be just like Roger. I think, as far as the aspects of, um, just the fundamentals and general vibe, I, I definitely tip my hat to him. Um, Lance Phillip as well, who was another one of my teachers, who's um, he's a, an amazing reader. And he can—he's he's an amazing session musician, in that he can fit into any kind of style and be right in it, like regardless of whether it's like sort of musicals or playing on like Dancing with the Stars or <laughs> jazz trio stuff, or like there's this amazing recording of Lance Phillip, uh with uh, John um, uh View from Olympus album, where he's playing with Joshua Redman. It's a really big, intense, epic. And oh, and the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra as well, big, mm. intense, epic thing, and he slays that. So, you know, I t- have to tip my hat to him too. Or maybe someone like Darren Mathiason, who's um, plays with Shapeshifter and Holly Smith, and pretty much every R and B singer in the country, who's um, got an amazing sense of time, and you know, he, he's, he can like, you know, he can get around the drums as good as like anyone. But when it comes to the Pure meat and potatoes thing. He's just got it so solid, and mm. you know I have to bow down to that too. And I, I could go on and yeah, on and on. and on. And it on and it on.
1: sounds like you're in good company. Um, we uh, we should actually play some of the music. Um, yeah. So you, I think you've recommended uh, Griffith Park. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, Tell yeah. Tell us about this track. Um, it's a, just a cool track.
2: I think I think it's a good gateway to Ross's music because it's it's got the the ish elements, but it's still kind of groovy and yeah stuff so let's start with that and then maybe we'll go a little deeper and darker
1: well that sounds good well thank you very much molly for joining us and we wish you the best with your wellington jazz fest experience and the show that's coming up on friday this week thank you That's a track called Griffith Park, as recommended to us by uh, none other than Maile Manzanza, who uh, who casually informed me that he's, um, after the gig on Friday that he's doing as part of the Ross McHenry um uh, gig as part of the Wellington Jazz Festival. Um, he's then getting on a plane at three o'clock in the morning to go to New York and record a new album, uh, with Ross McHenry and his awesome band. Um, so yeah, so really a pleasure to have him in the studio and talking to us. Um, and if you can get along to the gig, uh, it's at the Opera House, it's Friday and it's at nine o'clock. Um, and if I was really organized, then I'll be able to tell you where you could get tickets from. Um, in the meantime, when I'm finding that out, Uh, Let's play... I was going to play just for a complete change of pace. Uh, Miley said that his favourite Michael Jackson song was I Can't Help It, which I discovered was um, on the Off The Wall album. So I thought, why don't we play perhaps some of that like i say by way of a uh, a total contrast we've got uh, dan shannon in the studio next he is the um festival director for the D- documentary edge festival which is also kicking off in wellington tomorrow uh this though michael jackson i can't help it apparently written by stevie wonder is uh, a Michael Jackson song, which was uh, a bit of a change of pace from the jazz, the Ross McHenry uh, ensemble that we heard before. That is I Can't Help It and it's um Maile Manzanza's uh, favourite Michael Jackson song. Uh, If you do want to buy tickets to his gig, um, you can find out more at jazzfestival.co.nz, and the festival starts tomorrow and runs till the 7th of June. Uh, Now, we're on the eve of two festivals, and the second one, in order of how we've run the show, not in any other order, is the Documentary Edge Film Festival, which comes to Wellington as of tomorrow. And we're welcoming Dan and Alex into the studio. Welcome, how are you?
3: Hi, Dan.
1: Great, thanks. So um, you are both festival directors.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. Um. <laughs> we speak together too. Yeah. 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 Is yeah. that
1: because you work very closely together? Yes. So you're continually in stereo.
3: We're both the co-founders of the festival. So we have worked together for over 10 years. So yes, we are quite in sync with each other. Wow,
1: <laughs> is it the 10-year anniversary this year?
3: It is, and we are celebrating 10 years. It is a milestone, and we hope that we can, you know, enter the second decade of the festival yeah, with a big bang Yeah, and and lots of, people, audiences coming and celebrating with us this year.
1: Yeah. Um, so can we just take it back then and just talk about how did it begin? So are you friends from way back? you really into film? How, how did it start?
0: Um, we were both filmmakers and we got together and we lamented about the fact that New Zealand really needed to have more documentary support. Um, I'm a drama director and he's a documentary director, but we both recognise that New Zealand's a small community and for filmmakers to actually do any good, they need to be able to work across different genres and platforms. And because there was such a glaring deficiency in New Zealand in having a pure documentary festival, we thought it would be a really great idea. All major cities around the world have major documentary festivals and New Zealand shouldn't be any exception So we, we got together and we kind of said, okay, uh, here's what we're going to do. And we got on and do it and did it. And, you know, 11 years later, we're kind of here.
1: That's um. I like the fact that you managed to cut that down for me, like ten years into like a really bite-sized <laughs> chunk.
0: That's what documentary director is all about. To do. Yeah, yeah. It must be
1: right. Um. So tell us about the festival that we're coming into just t- tomorrow. Um. You you mentioned just before we went on air that you've got some people who are coming into town specially. Can you tell us about those those directors?
3: Yes, we are very fortunate to have a couple, uh, quite a few f- uh, international filmmakers visiting uh, Wellington this year. And the opening night film is Sweet Mickey for President. That's tomorrow at 7.30 at the Roxy Cinema. And Karen Rachtman, the producer of the film, is with us. And we will have a Q&A with her after the film. This particular film looks at Haiti post-earthquake. And Pras Michel from the Fujis, who is in the film and also produced the film, was running uh, his uh, friend uh, Michel, Michel Martelli. Martelli for president of Haiti. And it's oh. all about the political campaign and, and how yep. they got together to to run this and actually Sweet Mickey won.
0: Yeah, and Sweet Mickey is a bit unusual because he's actually a rock star and he wears diapers and he's a bit of a cross-dresser. So Haiti really needed a change and Price Michelle helped uh, Sweet Mickey on a campaign against his bandmate, uh, Wycliffe Jean.
1: That is just, a, that is a truth is stranger than fiction story, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, So how did Karen get involved in, in making that film?
3: They, they approached her. She, she is uh, coming from a music uh, production uh, background, ah. and, uh, and, and that uh, was her film projects to work with. Uh, Praz, she's a good friend of Praz, and Ben Patterson, the director... Uh, uh, they found each other, the three of them, and they, the three of them put mm. the whole thing together. The film uh, premiered at uh, Downs and just screened at Hot Dogs. And now, you know, we are the first country outside uh, North America to show the film. And they're they, they loving being here. Mm. And, and
0: incidentally, Ben Patterson won Best Director uh, in our international competition cool Here.
1: so that's um so that you've got lots of firsts and you've got lots of exclusives
0: we do
3: we do and another exclusive is the film that will play right after the opening night film at 9:15 tomorrow <laughs> night which is the desk which is Andrew Goldman's film about his encounter with Paul Henry in the US when uh, Paul Henry was fired from TVNZ and was looking for something to do. Uh, and, and Andrew Goldman was a journalist, a New York Times journalist, and he was fired from the New York Times for his provocative uh, interviews. And the two of them somehow met and, and decided to make a short film. And this film is about
0: that.
1: So is Paul Henry, is he a filmmaker in that or is he the subject of he that? He's
0: the subject. He's the subject. And, and you know a lot of people, I mean, Paul, Paul's the sort of person that... Uh, engenders a love-hate relationship for most people. And I would say to you that watching the film doesn't mean that you stand in either camp. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great film because it's about um, this particular filmmaker, Andrew Goldman, trying to find um, his way after being fired from the New York Times. And the reason why he got fired was because he ended up interviewing Diane Van Furstenberger, a very well-known fashion icon. And um, he asked her some questions that irked her. And she happens to be a major sponsor and advertiser in the newspaper. So he got So it's all about redemption, journey, investigation and the manipulation of the media by the people with money.
1: That sounds fascinating and very relevant to our times as well.
3: Absolutely. Um, Very much so. And also, uh, another addition to it is the whole social media, because it was a lot of tweeting going around back and forth, and and the whole uh, how social media affects mainstream media these days, and the the lack of death in reporting and in in, in reaction to to social media Mm -hmm. tweeting or Facebooking. Uh, it raises so many important questions. Yes, it is inter- it is an entertaining film. And, 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 and has, funny. Yeah, Very and funny, funny. But it also has a serious message. Uh, yeah. So, Andrew, you know, and I must also uh, add that those international filmmakers are just here for their first screenings. So while each film will screen three times, uh, if people would like to meet them and listen to the Q&As, they need to check out the first screenings uh, yeah. and then uh, join us for that.
1: How long do the Q&As go for, typically? And is it an actual Q&A format? Or... or like like, does the audience ask questions oh, or do absolutely. you script it? Yeah, it's
3: very important that the audience... Why is that asks- important? Well, because this is the only kind of platform where filmmakers can present their film and get yeah. reaction, live reaction from the audiences if you think about it, if you watch it on TV or even at your home, you don't have that kind of ability mm. to A, to watch it in a collective kind of an environment with other people and B ask the questions and have a conversation and we love those QA's and filmmakers love those Q&As and I must say the audiences also love those Q&As how often do you have an opportunity
0: to talk mm. to a filmmaker and ask the questions that you have after watching a film and if I can just jump in, documentary is meant to stimulate dialogue. I mean, if you go to a film and you watch a documentary, there, there is meant to be some provocations in the film that will make you want to go out and talk to someone about it. So a Q&A is really important for people to be able to share, and also you know the opportunity to go out of the uh, screening and to be able to meet people in the lobby of the Roxy and have a drink and talk about uh, what was discussed is a really important part of the process of documentary watching.
1: So tell me about what's happening tomorrow for opening night.
3: Opening night is uh, at the celebration of the festival. So that's, uh, like we've mentioned, the Sweet Mickey for President screenings with the Q&A with Karen Rackman and, and followed by the desk screening with Anne Gold- Goldman. So there will be the two Q&As tomorrow evening.
1: Um, whereabouts is that happening? You mentioned the Roxy. Is that your, yeah. your venue? Yes.
0: That's our yeah. home. Ah. We love the Roxy. So, so we, we used to be in Wellington Central but yeah. we moved to the Roxy a year ago. It's been very successful. As a result of working with the Roxy, Roxy has now... Um, Um, ...together with the Mirror Business Association... ...created a winter festival called Mirror Marvelous. So over this period that we're there... ...they're holding a whole lot of musical events... um, ...more talks, uh, more exhibitions... ...and the community is getting together. And on top of that on Thursday... ...we have what is known as a Screen Edge Forum... ...which is open up to everyone... ...and they can join up. It's a forum where we're bringing in filmmakers... ...to talk about their craft... ...and talk about issues... ...and to meet and network with each other... We'll be screening a really interesting film there about the lack of women in the whole area of coding, which is now a really important part of filmmaking because films are no longer just go and watch a film. You're talking about a whole thing about you know creating a community, looking at gaming, looking at the web, looking at how everything relates to each other. So having women and having a diverse voice in the creation of all that media is really important. It doesn't become an all-boys club.
1: Yeah, that's a, oh, it's the kind of because you would usually imagine that essentially that's the marketing of the film, right? You're talking about that? Uh,
0: not only the marketing of the film but also everything else that comes with the film so you start off, you know when we talk about um, this new form of storytelling, you're you're beginning at the very beginning stage and say I've got an idea I want to film this but someone's planning okay, what else can we do? Shall we have an educational game with it? Should we have a social community that's built around it? How can we actually create small clips that could be utilised rather than just film. So storytelling occurs in linear and non-linear ways. And what I mean by that is a traditional way is act one, act two, act three, and you finish, you're Mm -hmm. satisfied. Non-linear storytelling means that you're coming in at any point and you're able to catch part of the story and go back and travel so you're actually essentially what we're doing these days with, with our uh, programmable televisions is actually choosing how you watch a film and how you engage with a film
1: and you're talking about things like on demand and things like that uh,
3: absolutely yeah, yeah yeah and I'm glad I- Alex mentioned the forum because that's uh, going to be held at the Park Road Post yeah uh, again Miramar we are, we are making Miramar kind of the center for our activities and we are so thrilled to be there with the forum the forum is by registration so any anyone can attend. You just need to go to our uh, website uh, and register. And well. there will be a series of master classes. So we mentioned Karen with the Sweet Mickey for President. Yeah. She will do a master class at the Forum, as well as uh, Lyric Cabral, who is the co-director of the Closing Night film called Terror. And she will have a master class there too. And she will present the film, although it's the Closing Night film, mm-hmm. there are still three screenings, and she will be on Thursday night at the Roxy doing a Q&A. So earlier you asked about how long are the Q&As. Usually yeah. they're not that long. They're about three 15, 20 minutes, it depends on w- how much time we have. But that's where those masterclasses, an hour and a half long, uh, in-depth look into this filmmaking craft and uh, talking about the films, that's where the forum is really give you so much
0: more information and yeah. opportunity. And it's I think, so, sorry, just to <laughs> interrupt. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I mean, we, we get really excited about coming to Wellington because um, of this active participation and partnership with Mirama and with the businesses around Mirama. You know, we're really excited because there's an opportunity for Wellington to build an iconic uh, festival venue, uh, which which is not just a cinema, but the entire suburb, and we can start bringing a lot of people from overseas in, uh, and from all around the country to come into Miramar and turn it into a real festival venue with all sorts of events. And that's so exciting because we can see it happening overseas, and Wellington is an opportunity to become a really important spot for documentary and interactive storytelling in the future.
1: I can feel your enthusiasm, which is fizzing, which is fantastic. So this has to be to do with um, the, the already burgeoning film industry that there is in Miramar and a lot to do with Peter Jackson and his crew of people. Um, is that how are you related to that? I mean, obviously you are tangentially because why else would you be um, in Miramar? But are you, is, that, is that partly where the funding comes from for Documentary Edge? Is that where the push is coming from?
0: We, we don't, um, we, we partner with, with, um, the various businesses there. Yeah. Um, currently the funding isn't coming from Miramar. Businesses, We're just working with them. Yeah. I mean, the intention is in due course that together with Miramar, we would make um, application to, say, uh, Wellington City Council, to Wellington Regional Economic Development Association, to, to try to build it so that it's not uh, an event that just comes in for a couple of days, mm-hmm. but it's something that becomes something more. Yeah. Um, we work very closely with the, the BID, the Miramar uh, Business Innovation District, um and obviously um the um there's a lot of support from Park Road Post and mm. and Wetter and all the uh, different businesses there because they can see the opportunity yeah. they, they they can see an opportunity to create a festival town You know, which would be amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And they've got the Roxy as well, which gives you the venue for it. Um, We should take it back to the festival. So you've got people coming along. to. So we should say, actually, um, if people want to find out more about if they want to come along to the masterclasses that you've been talking about, Mm -hmm. uh, then your website, according to the Internet browser I have in front of me, is documentaryedge.org.nz. Um, so you can get along there and find out more. Um, tell us a bit about, more about the, the films. We <laughs> talked before off-air that um, you're not allowed to uh, mention your favourite child or favourite <laughs> film, um, but perhaps you could tell us about maybe the most challenging film or perhaps the most um, surprising film when you were making your selection.
3: Right, I mean making the selection is is always a difficult process we we're going through hundreds of films uh, each year and selecting we have 56 in this year's festival and narrowing it down to 56 is not an easy task um but we looking into having a diverse program there are so many types of documentaries too some that are light and entertaining some that are more serious and heavy topics and also different styles of filmmaking so um it's. I think when people go through the program, whether it's online or get the booklet and read it, there is something for everyone, It's uh, we, and we do encourage people to take the time to read about the film and decide what is it that appeals to them. Some people, when they don't know what to choose from all of that, my recommendation is just go and see anything, because anything you're going to see will be good, will be great, and, and will touch you. So what may be my favorite may not be someone else's favorite, but there is something there for everyone and we had the awards we can mention a couple of the winners this year mm-hmm. and, and including a New Zealand competition which is really important for us so the be- the big winner this year from the New Zealand category feature was a film called the day that changed my life which is about the Christchurch earthquake and it won the best New Zealand feature best New Zealand director and best New Zealand uh, editing Uh, three awards and it's about a person on the ground on the 22nd of uh, February 2011 uh, at at the earthquake so we've seen some films about the earthquake before but this one was really the one that shows the footage from the ground from different kind of footages that they collected the filmmakers collected and it's so emotional it's so touching it's you really feel you are there at the earthquake with, with the people on the screen and that's just one example. And um, the best international winner was a film called um, "Something Better to Come," which looks about Russia and a group of children in a in an outskirts of uh, um, Moscow. And the filmmaker followed them for fourteen years. And and that's I think some another uh, example how documentaries, you know, documentary filmmakers do take their time to follow their subjects to tell their stories. It's and stunning film. Uh, Hannah Pollock is an award-winning filmmaker, and uh, we're so happy she won another award in our festival. And the list goes on and on. I mean, we can be here all night talking about those <laughs> yeah. films.
1: Well, we have got, we've got six minutes before the end of the show, and I'm sure there's like a couple of minutes of parliamentary questions or something in there as well. Um, <laughs> we, I just wanted to ask about your backgrounds, because you're clearly passionate about the Documentary Edge Film Festival being in Wellington in New Zealand. You do not have Kiwi accents so much. How did you arrive in New Zealand and and why is the New Zealand Film Festival so important to you or the film scene here?
0: Um, I came to New Zealand in 1978. So I'm probably as Kiwi as they come. Uh, My accent is probably because... Um, it, it's a hybrid of just about everything because I worked in so many different parts of the world. It's part of my OE. You know, I lived in Hong Kong. I lived in Brussels. I picked up bits and pieces from everywhere, come back and, you know, this is exactly what it is. I come from Southeast Asia originally. Um, I'm trained to be a lawyer. I'm a media lawyer. I've become a film producer, so the film Hip Operation Ah. uh, is a film that uh, I put together. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. (laughs) And um, I'm also the head of the uh, film and television school at Unitech in Auckland. Um, But I'm a filmmaker. First and foremost, together with Dan, uh, we are documentary um, New Zealand Trust directors. I'm passionate about um, Wellington, uh, because I think that Wellington has an opportunity uh, because of the partnership that we have at Miramar to grow something really, really special. Um, I'm passionate about documentary because I think documentary is really important if we don't have documentary who do we know uh, how can we tell who we are because we need to look back at who we are we need to look at who we are today and we need to look at where we're going and documentaries provide you with a true life account of that so that we can figure out our our identity and as a nation mm. I think it's really important that we figure this out because we're so far from the rest of the world we, we need to have our identity very clear and to add uh, to just what alex said
3: uh, the fact that we don't have a public television service anymore mm-hmm. here in new zealand is quite um sad to begin with because that's where the home for documentaries in many countries uh, so we feel now that even the uh, the existence of documentary Edge festival is much more important because quality documentaries don't find their way anymore to the t- to the television and it's really hard to access them so we are providing an access to quality material that otherwise will people will not be able to see
0: and you are from <laughs> well it doesn't
3: matter you know what it doesn't <laughs> matter where I'm from because I Your music, you, we, we're you're in New Zealand we all born king. somewhere I mean I've been yeah. here for 12 years I traveled and like Alex lived in different places my accent is a mix of different countries
4: mm-hmm.
1: uh,
3: but you know we I am in New Zealand there now I live here I'm passionate about this country and and about our filmmaking uh, c- you know community here and and storytelling it's all come to storytelling we need to tell our story Stories. The world wants to hear our stories, and we that's why we have the documentary New Zealand Trust, to encourage filmmakers to tell our stories and to have the festival to mm. showcase.
0: You stories. know what, what's <laughs> fascinating is that a lot of people say America is the land of opportunity where refugees and immigrants and people looking for a better life would go to. I would say that New Zealand's become that. Because if you look at the n- number of people that come from overseas, the diversity and the number of people from New Zealand that's traveled and come back, we are sitting in a huge melting pot. And we have the opportunity of shaping New Zealand to become a really uh, incredible country, provided that we all can figure out what, who we are and mm. where we're going. And I think that's the importance of documentary is actually you know, being able to reach out to each other and build bridges so that we can figure that out.
1: It's been fantastic to have you on the program and fantastic that we're all part of the same country. Um, So it's been great to have you on Access Radio. Um, I'm going to give people that uh, web address again which is documentaryedge.org.nz I hope you have a fantastic um, festival. It sounds like you will and I'm looking forward to the next 10 years. And and there's an app as well
0: by the way. Uh, So if people are trying to figure out how to get to us they Ah. can look through the smartphone and look for our our app. Uh, Whether it's an app, you know, whether you're on on an iPhone or whether you're on a smartphone, uh, it's fine
1: you're ahead of the game,
0: yeah.
1: uh, we're going to play out because you mentioned the, um, the opening night f- um, film yeah. I'm going to play out with uh, another Fuji the um, uh, Lauren Hill so this is uh, Everything is Everything um, and it's by uh, Lauren Hill thanks again for coming into the programme thank Cheers. you Jen. <laughs>
0: was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard.